What a day today. I don't know if you live in Hilo, but it's been raining really, really Hilo-ish, right? It's back to like Hilo weather. And those of you who are uh, living out in HPP or in water catchment, don't you just love the rain? <laughs> you just wanna, you want it to rain. And so you wash all your clothes and you wash your car and then you bathe, you know, because you got water now. Not saying you didn't bathe, but uh, welcome to our Wednesday night equip. And if this is your first time, we want to welcome you. Can we just welcome all those that maybe this is their first time being here on a Wednesday night? I, I love our Wednesday nights because this is our, a time during the week that we can once again gather together and then learn from God. And so I'm going to encourage you when you come on Wednesday nights to bring your Bibles because we want to learn how to use our Bibles. And when you do, you'll be able to go through scripture that you may not be familiar with. You know, sometimes we read our favorite passages or the ones that make sense to us. But if you're reading through the Bible with us, you're going to go through the entire Bible in a year. So we want to get used to the Bible. We want to learn how to turn the pages and, and where to go to in the Bible. And sometimes technology will override that because it's so easy to find something uh, via technology. But we also want to underline things and then have something tangible in our hands. But if not, if you have an electronic Bible, that's fine because it's the Word of God that touches our hearts that makes us to become more like Jesus Christ. Well, if this is your first time to our Wednesday night, let me just give you a brief uh, overview of what takes place on Wednesday night. We have our service in here, and we're going through a series called Overcoming Everyday Battles. And tonight we're going to be talking about a new mind and new results. In other words, if you want to have different results in your life, you have to develop a new mind, a new way of thinking so that you can have better results. And then we're going to have our Bible study as well as a topical study in the covered courtyard and the uh, fellowship hall. So when you came in, you were given a little pamphlet, a little bulletin, and you can take that out. It will show you where each topic is. And if you want to go in the fellowship hall, that's fine, or the courtyard, you can do so. I'm actually going to dismiss you right now. Uh, and you can, if you want to go in the courtyard or, or fellowship, you can do so right now. For those of us who will be in here, we're going to be in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to be talking about a new mind and new results. And we're going to learn how to conquer these everyday battles. Because we battle with our mind every single day. Have you ever spoken to yourself like in your head? You, you have to make a decision. So you start speaking to yourself. You start talking to yourself. You weigh things out. You have, to, you have to think through the consequences. You have to think through the decision that you're going to make. And so you talk to yourself in your head. Or you struggle with a decision and maybe it's something that you did that's eating up your conscience. You know when you, you do something wrong and then your conscience is just bothering you? Or you know you did something and you feel guilty about it. And we feel like, why, why did I have to do that? Or it just bothers you all day. Uh, maybe someone did something to you and to them it was nothing bad. It was an accident or they, maybe they teased you and it hurt you more than they thought it would. And so you're battling with this in your mind and you're thinking, how do I make this go away? You know, why, why, do, why do I keep thinking about this over and over when the other person could care less and they're, they're not even near you anymore and they're going about their day? Well, it's, it's because we have this thing called conscience. You have a conscience. Every single person has a conscience. And when you have a conscience, what that means is there's a, there's a, a, 
a, a way for us to decide between morality. It's a way to decide between bad and good. Your conscience will do that. And tonight what we're going to learn is some of us, we can actually sear our conscience or bring our conscience to a place where we, it, we don't let it bother us anymore. That we just go from one thing to the next and because it, we feel guilty or it, it bothers us, we don't want to feel that, so we just sear our conscience, and then we justify so that we can behave how we want to and not reap the consequences of having a bad conscience bothering us. Well, I had a, an incident where we were in the mainland, Heidi and I, and a bunch of our friends. We were at a conference in, in the, the mainland, and we parked on the side of the road, and where we needed to go was directly across the street. Now, we looked down the road and both ways, and we couldn't see a crosswalk. And so Heidi said, let's just cross right here. I said, that's jaywalking. She goes, well, it's just right there. And then she did this. Like she was going to go, so I ran. And I ran across the street, and I went to the other side. I looked, and she was still on the other side. She goes, I wasn't going to go. And the, the whole night it bothered me that I jaywalked. Like I couldn't even enjoy the night because I felt, I felt like I did something so bad. And everyone that came my way, I'm thinking, I'm a jaywalker. I, I'm, I'm such an evil person just from jaywalking. And, and uh, I felt set up. I felt framed. I felt Heidi and juke me. And I, I, I just ran. So I, it was bothering me. And I thought, why is it bothering me that much? I mean, yeah, it's, it's against the law to do those things. But why, why is it? That when we do something wrong, it bothers us. But on the other hand, why is it that when we do something wrong, it doesn't bother us? See, as believers, there's a difference between having a conscience and searing your conscience trying to follow Jesus Christ. See, we, we all have a conscience. But you decide how well your conscience is going to guide you. Now, the, the conscience that we have, or our conscience, is that process of thought which distinguishes what is considered morally good or bad, commending the good, condemning the bad, and so prompting to do the former and to avoid the latter. In other words, our conscience is created, God puts that there, so that we do good, not evil but to do good. Now, 1 Timothy 1.5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul the Apostle is speaking to a younger man named Timothy. Timothy is kind of like the up-and-coming pastor. And so Paul wants to give him some great wisdom that comes from God so that as he grows up in the Lord, he can develop the mind of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, The goal of our instruction is to love from a pure heart, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In other words, what God is saying through his word is when he wants us to be an obedient people through the instructions that he gives to us, he's saying, when I give you an instruction, now I want it to hit your heart that's going to be pure. And I want your conscience to be good. I don't want you to just have a conscience. I want you to have a good conscience and then a sincere faith, a faith that is recognizable and a faith that is authentic. That's where the word sincere comes from. It was when they would make a vase and they would create it in such a way that it was a prized 
uh, vase, and they would check it out to make sure that it was flawless, and they would hold it up in the sunlight, and they would make sure there were no cracks in there. Now, some of the, uh, the, the creators of these ceramics, they would actually, if there was a crack in it, they would kind of lessen its value by rubbing in some wax to fill in that gap. And the only way you would tell if, if it was cracked or if it was flawed is if you held it up in the sunlight. And so when they would look at it and they saw that it was authentic, then they would say sinicera or sincere. It's authentic. And so it is with our faith. What Paul the apostle was saying to Timothy is you got to have an authentic faith. You can't have any cracks and flaws in them because the moment it's held up to the light, the moment it's held up under pressure, the moment you're in a situation that causes you to have to make a decision, you're going to crack. It's gonna fi- you're going to find out that your faith wasn't authentic. And people will see that too. And so when Paul passes this on to Timothy, Timothy has to now make that decision to say, okay, this is the goal of the instruction that you're giving to me. I'm going to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And if we don't take care of the things that are not great with God, if we don't take care of the things that in God's sight are morally bad, and if we don't take care of the things that nobody else knows of that we're doing that we know we shouldn't be doing, if we don't take care of those things in private with God, then it'll be sooner than later that we're going to have to take care of those things in public with everyone else. Because God would say, your conscience is there so that you can take care of the hidden things when nobody knows, but you know what's going on. And and God says, you got to correct that behind the scenes because you want to have an authentic faith. You want to have a pure heart. And so we can hide behind the scenes and do whatever we want And nobody else would know, but God says, if you don't correct it behind the scenes, and if you don't correct this in private with me, then it'll be sooner than later that you're going to have to correct it in public. And we see that happen all the time with with movie stars, with with people that we know, and and people that they take shortcuts. After a while, if they're not in check, and if they don't correct those things, they have to now make the correction public and we see that happen all the time now the problem with this and it's a good problem is that God is always for us he is always for us so he's going to constantly speak to us he's going to constantly usher us and encourage us closer to him so that while we're close to him we can be corrected by him under his grace Rather than we keep fighting God and saying, no, 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 I, I can do whatever I want, but, but in front of everyone I can praise you. And he's saying, yeah, but you only can do this for so long. Because if you don't have an authentic faith, someone's going to hold it up to the light. Something's going to shine on your life and then it's going to be exposed. And now you're going to have to correct it in public. And I think we all want to be a people who says, Lord, I want to be a person who can have a new mind so I have new results. And that's what we want to learn tonight. Here are three tactics that we can use, three things that we can apply in our lives that will help us to renew our mind and get new results. And here's the first thing. Allow the Lord to renew your mind. Allow the Lord to renew your mind. He's, the good thing about God is he's always in the new beginnings business. 
He's always about bringing something new. God could have created this earth in any way he wanted to, but he created it as a sphere. And he created it where we have a solar system. He created it where our, our, our sun and moon and galaxy and our earth rotate in such a way that every 24 hours we have a brand new day. Brand new day. Now, sometimes we carry from one day to the next all kinds of junk. But the Bible says that my mercies are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In other words, God is in the business of new beginnings. Even the day is new. He puts like a, a ticker as we go called seconds. That every second is new. That his solar system is so precise that even though we may skip a beat, our watch may fail or electricity goes out, time still clicks completely perfectly. It just keeps going. God placed it that way so that we would have a new minute, a new hour, a new day, a new week, a new month, a new year. Because God is in the business of new beginnings. So we don't carry over from one day to the next old things we want to have new beginnings every single day. But for us, because we can remember, we carry things on to the next day and the next. And sure, we got to own up to responsibilities. We want to make things correct. But God is in the business of renewing our minds. And here how, here's how he does it. Romans 12.1, it tells us this. Romans 12.1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, or I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God... That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, to renew, it's like renovation. You have a complete change for the better. Or you, the, to cause to grow up. Or new strength and vigor to be changed into a new kind of life as opposed to the former corrupt state. That's what that word means. See, most of our anxieties and worries are anchored to some traumatic event. And so our minds are, are, are structured in such a way because of that traumatic event. Heidi and I were driving one day. And this is by uh, Jamba Juice, you know, that area by Walmart. And so we're driving, and my son Jordan was in the back, and he had his headphones on like every teenager, you know, in the world. Uh, not all, but some, but, you, you know, you understand. So he's in the back, and we're driving, and a car just runs a stop sign coming out of Jamba Juice, and we're going straight towards, you know, Panda Express and all of that. And it hits us, and we're, you know, it's wet, the road is wet, so... I saw him coming, and I just was like, okay, I got I to brace myself. So he hit us, and because the road was slippery, we didn't really feel a hit. He kind of grazed us and pushed us. Now, my son Jordan is in the back, and he's kind of kicking back, listening to music. And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, 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 what's, what's going on? Like, we're going sideways, so that's not normal. Then he wakes up, and I say, we just got hit. He's like, what? I say, yeah, we just got hit. And so we pull over, and then, you know, we get everything straight. My car went to get fixed, and then when we got the car back, this is what I noticed about me when I drove after that. I was so anxious and worried about every single car that was around me. Stop signs and all. I'm like, hey, buddy, you better slow down. You better slow down. And I'm like, I was so cautious. And when people would be tailing me, I'm like, dude, you better back up because I don't want to get hit. And I felt so 
worried about every single car that was coming my way. I would be talking to cars, talking to people. I see pedestrians ready to cross the crosswalk. I'm thinking, don't, don't go yet. I might hit you at this speed. So it, it just was something inside of me that said, what if this happens again? Because whenever we have a traumatic event, our mind automatically records it. Our neurons in our brain forms like its own, uh, like a super highway that all of those neurons that experience that traumatic event forms, and then now this is how you think. So now because this, the, this is your new way of thinking, you, you cannot help but be fearful of that car. Or if you got into an accident, you, you're so mindful of what can happen. Or if you got hurt by someone, you guard yourself. Why? Because your mind had to restructure itself to guard itself, to guard your life from pain that you felt or that traumatic event. If you grew up in an environment that you always got yelled at or an abusive situation, you're constantly on guard. You don't trust people. You, you, you hesitate when there's another relationship coming your way. Why? Because your mind was developed since the day you were growing up, the day you were born, if you lived in an in that environment. And the only way our minds can be renewed is through the mercies of God. It's the only way it can be renewed. Only God can restructure our minds. In other words, we have to think a different way. That's why the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to think differently. That's why it's important to get into the Word of God, to read the Word of God, because it causes us to think different. You, you allow the Lord to renew your mind. Now you're thinking different. And this is what happens scientifically or I uh, hope I'm using the right word, uh, physiologically, the way we're made up. Once you start thinking a new way and you keep thinking in that new way, the old way of thinking cannot survive. It cannot. Physically, it cannot survive. If you keep thinking in a new way, let's just say someone kept putting you down. They kept you know, saying names to you or, or, or they kept saying negative things to you and you kept reviewing that in your mind, now all those neurons in your mind develop that super highway that that's how you think. You live that way. You behave that way. You're structured that way. So everything you do thereafter is based upon this way of thinking. But then God comes in. He says, no, you are, you are my child. You are worthy of my very best. That before you were formed, I knew you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you keep thinking that way, that I love you with a passion. I died for you. You are important to me. You are valuable. You keep thinking of those things. Now new neurons are being built. And because you're not using these old ones, they actually die. They die. They literally die. And we have over 100 billion neurons in our minds. And so when God says to renew your mind, he actually physically does that. And you renew your mind. So by the time you try to think of something, oh, you can remember it because there's another part of our brain that can remember. But it doesn't hurt anymore. And you don't think and behave in the same way you used to because you can't. You don't have that way of thinking anymore. You think differently. Why? Because the Lord is renewing your mind. 1 Timothy 4.2, it says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. The Bible is telling us is we can actually have a conscience that is so worried and so we're, we're apprehensive and we have such anxiety in our life that we're on one extreme that we never do anything, we never risk anymore 
Or we can be on this side of the extreme and say, well, now you're being a hypocrite because you're not even trying to correct anything. And now you're searing your conscience with a hot iron. That word sear is whose souls are branded with the marks of sin. In other words, we don't remove the problem. We remove the problem indicators. That when we sear our conscience, you know, it bothers us. But instead of correcting the problem, we correct problem indicators. It's like your dashboard when the light comes on and says, change your oil. The problem is not the light. And some of us, we just want to pull out the fuse to turn off that light or just rip out the wires. Oh, it's fixed now. Yeah, I don't have to worry about the oil. No, the bigger problem is actually changing the oil. And for some of us, we don't, we don't fix the problem. We fix the, the problem indicators. That when we see something happen in our life and then we, we fight against each other, we just think, oh, it's the other person, so forget about you. And then we leave them thinking that that's the problem. But that's just the light. You just ripped out wires when here's the problem. It's in my own heart. And God says, here's what I want you to fix, not the problem indicator. You're yelling and screaming. You have a heart of anger, a spirit of anger. Yeah, yeah, but if everybody never be, you know, if everyone was just behaving, then, you know, I would be better. No, that's problem indicators. Everyone gets upset as a result of something else that's deeper. Not just a problem indicator. Anyone can pull out wires and anyone can behave in front of other people. Anyone can throw a facade. We're very good at that. We, we grew up that way. When mom said, did you eat all that chocolate? You're like, no. You have chocolate all over your face. Hershey Kiss wrappers all over the place. But we develop a good way to put up a front. So by the time we have all these issues, we just take care of the problem indicators. We change the exterior without the inside changing. God says, I've got to renew the inside. I've got to renew your mind. And here's the second thing, because this one is going to be where the Lord and your relationship comes in. Develop the mind of Christ. Allow the Lord to renew your mind, but you've got to develop the mind of Christ. See, as the Lord is renewing your mind, you have to have an, a new mind. How, how are you, what, what is it supposed to look like? What kind of mind do I want to have? Do I just renew my mind and then be like someone else? Do I renew my mind and then just be like a better old version of me? Do I renew my mind in such a way that I'm still going to run into the same problems? Or do I renew my mind to be like Christ? See, the only way to have the mind of Christ is for Christ to be our Lord and Savior. That's the only way we can have the mind of Christ. Heidi knows me very well. Heidi, Heidi can... You know, when, when I asked her to uh, help me with my office, you know, I, I, I wanted to move some things around and then um, just change it. Uh, she said, well, let me, let me do some things. And, and when she put up pictures and, and things like that, I, and uh, I thought she knows exactly what I wanted because she knows me well. We'll go to the store or a place where there's, you know, shirts and, and things like that, and, and she'll pick them out and she'll go, try this on. And I'll look at it and i say, I'm not going to wear that. She goes, no, 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 you're going to look great in this. I said, I don't think so. And she goes, just try it on. So I try it on and then I have to come out, you know, from the dressing room. Honey, hurry up, come. I don't like, I don't like go out there. And she'll come and she goes, see, it looks great. I said, you sure? She goes, yeah. 
I said, okay. Then I come to church and people say, oh, nice shirt, nice shirt. Yeah, I pick them out. I pick them out. <laughs> it's really Heidi. If you see me with clothes and it's like, oh, that don't look good. I picked it out. Heidi, Heidi knows because she's been with me for a long time. We have a great relationship, and so it is with God when you have a great relationship with him, you get to know his mind. You develop the mind of Christ. In other words, you don't think like you used to. You start thinking like Jesus. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Isn't that who God created us to be like? That Jesus Christ, the firstborn of many, that we become more and more like Jesus. See, sometimes we say, well, if that person changed and if this person changed, then everything would be so much better. The battles could be so much better and we wouldn't run into all these battles. But you know how you, you, know how you can conquer those battles? is becoming more like Jesus. Because there's no wife or husband or son or daughter that wouldn't submit to someone who is just like Jesus. I've never met a woman or a man who had a problem with submitting to their spouse who is just like Christ. It's easy because Christ is love, joy, peaceful. He's patient. He's kind. He's everything that God wants us to be. He has self-control. See, Jesus Jesus wants us not just to represent him, but he wants us to become like him. That's why we receive him into our lives. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of of God. See, there's something that Jesus could look forward to. He, he despised the shame. He, he endured the cross because there was something that he was looking forward to. When the Bible says looking unto Jesus, it's basically to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something else. So when the Bible says look unto Jesus, it's saying whatever you're fixing your eyes on, could be a problem, could be a person, could be your finances, it, whatever it is. So the Bible is saying, stop fixing your eyes on that and start fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because when you fix your eyes on Jesus, now the joy that was set before him will be your joy. He'll be able to, able to give, you your, give you his strength. That even, even though you may live a life that people would say, wow, you're... you're you're, you're a churchgoer now, or wow, you read the Bible now, and, and maybe you feel a little ashamed of it. But you know that's what God wants you to do. Despise the shame. Endure that cross. Because there's a joy that's set before you and I. And even though it's a struggle, even in our marriages, even though you may want to read the Bible with your spouse or your family, and they're like, I don't want to read the Bible, you do it. You go for it. They might be watching TV. They might be playing on their iPad or some game. You do it. You set the example. Because it's going to be through you that as your mind becomes more like Jesus, that now Jesus will be in your home 
because now you have the mind of Christ. See, the battle that goes on between our spirit and flesh is basically what we want and what God knows what is best for us. Our flesh and spirit are always going to do battles. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, it says, but people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the spirit can understand what the spirit means. We who have the spirit understand these things, but others can't understand us at all. How could they? For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who can give him counsel? But we can understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. See, the Bible says there are going to be some people they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand why you're switching the way you behave, why you change the way you think, why you're on a different journey, why you've chosen to do away with some things and then head in a different direction than the world is going, why you're following Jesus Christ. They may not understand that. And most of the times, if they're not a believer, they can't understand it. But you can. You understand it because you have the mind of Christ. So the question is, do we allow God's spirit to move us, direct us, and inspire us? Or do we try to do that ourselves? Do we try to get inspired from within? Or do we say, Lord, I want to have your mind. I, I, want, I want to think like how you think. I want to I do the things you do, and I want to say the things you say. But in order for us to do that, we have to have the mind of Christ. See, the mind of Christ is only understood if we have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And you're going to have that fight. You're going to have that battle. But we've got we to gotta conquer that battle. Have that new mind. And you're going to have new results. And God says to develop the mind of Christ so that when the battles come, and they will, we're victorious in and through him. It's not going to be through us. Because there's the last thing that we've got to understand. We must practice godliness. Practice godliness. Practice. Just practice. Practice godliness. When you think about Jesus and you read scripture and you learn more about him, how he did things, and start practicing what he did. Just practice. And who do you practice with? Practice with the people who are closest to you. You practice. Now, whenever you practice something, just like any sport, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to feel uncomfortable. If you're, if you're pitching and you're throwing a baseball and the coach says, okay, you need to hold, the, you need to hold it a little bit tighter and it may be uncomfortable right now, but you keep throwing that over and over. You keep practicing. Oh, it went out. Oh, ball. And it's, it's out of the, it's not even close to the catcher. It's okay. Keep that form because that's, you got, you got to practice that over and over. Tennis, you got to keep playing it. You got to hit it a certain way. And the more you practice it, even though it's uncomfortable, the coach would say, but that's the correct way to do it. You got to learn technique. You're not just cracking the ball. You're not, as a golfer, you're not just baseball batting this thing. You have to develop a good technique. And so in the beginning, as you're practicing, it may feel uncomfortable, but it's okay because you're practicing. And you're practicing not so that you can keep failing. We all practice so that we can get better. We want to get better. So there's a goal when we practice. And so when you practice godliness, it's to become more godly. 
not to become more righteous in the sight of people where you say, I'm better than you, I'm, I'm holier than thou, I'm, 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 I'm really, really righteous. It's, I want to do what's right in God's sight. And so I practice, practice, practice what is godly. I want to do what Jesus does. I like this quote. It says, one man practicing sportsmanship is better than a hundred teaching it. One man practicing sportsmanship is better than a hundred teaching it. And so I kind of twisted that around and I thought, you know, one person practicing godliness is better than 100 preaching it. One person practicing godliness is way better than 100 people teaching it. Just talking about godliness. If you can practice godliness, and all all of us, just practice godliness in our homes, now we become more and more like Christ. And just practice. You don't have to be perfect because that's not going to happen. Just keep practicing, little by little. Practice, 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 practice. Because this is what's going to happen. As you're practicing in your own home, your family members are going to see a difference. And you're not even trying to really change. You're just practicing godliness. Oh, yeah, there's the end result of saying, yeah, I want to be better. I want to do better. But right now, Lord, this is, I just want to practice godliness. And what you're actually doing is you're retraining and renewing your mind. And now you're practicing godliness. Athletes call it muscle memory. You do the same repetition over and over. Right now we're in the NBA finals and you'll see superstars. They'll miss a free throw and cost the game. Guess what they're doing after the game? They're shooting free throws. If they miss the game-winning shot as a three-pointer, guess what they're doing after that game? They're shooting three-pointers. That's all they're doing because they know they need to practice, practice, practice. Why? For muscle memory. So that when, when, you're, when you're in the midst of the, the chaos and there's 1.2 seconds left and you're going to get the ball, you're not even thinking of anyone. And when you get that ball and you shoot it, you're not thinking, well, how is my elbow supposed to be? What did my coach tell me? What was my leg supposed to be? Am I facing the right direction? Is this ball, oh, is this the right one? You're not even thinking of that. You're just, you just have muscle memory. And you're just getting the ball and you shoot it. And because of muscle memory, more than likely you'll make it. And that's what practice does. As a husband, the way we speak to our spouse, how we treat our spouse, how we love them. That you're practicing, you're practicing, you're practicing. So that you develop the mind of Christ and you become more like him. One thing to notice when you're practicing something Please don't expect other people to do what you're doing. Because if you're practicing something, let's just say you're practicing encouraging words and you wake up in the morning, good morning, honey, you look so beautiful. And she goes, ah, yeah. You can get offended like, wow, you didn't tell me good morning. Well, fine then. Oh, yeah, I got to practice, got to practice. Good morning, honey, you look good today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go work, bye. Oh, you ain't going to give me a kiss. And they out the door. And you, you can almost feel like, wow, how come they're not doing their part? But you're not practicing so the other person changes. You practice because this is who you are. When you have expectations, that's where you start losing the edge when you're practicing. I remember a while ago, uh, Heidi would come home and I would be sitting down or whatever, watching TV. And then she would come in the house and I don't know about women, but I don't know why you have more than one bag. 
Like you come home with eight bags. Like purse, you're going to purse, you're going to book bag, you're going to bag for your iPad, you're going to bag for the bag for your iPad, and then you're going to brand new bag, you didn't even put nothing inside. So you have all these bags and you come home. So Heidi comes home, she has all these bags, and if you're on screen door, you're trying to open the door, and you make so much, not you, but Heidi, she's outside so I, I can talk. So she opens the door and it's big noise, all these bags, and she opens the door and she comes in and I look at her and I'm thinking, I should have opened the door. I should have helped her. Because she gave me a look like, why don't you help me? Yeah, I'm coming in with all these bags. And now her attitude changes because I didn't help her. So long ago, I, I figured, okay, practice. Practice. Whenever Heidi comes home, the moment I hear her car come home, I get up and I open the door for her. I had to practice that. So I just practice and practice and practice. And I remember the first time I got up, opened the door, opened the screen door, and she came through. She didn't even say thank you. I was like, what? And I was like, thank you. She's like, oh, thanks for opening the door. I said, yeah. You're lucky I can't open the door. You had to come in with all your bags and you had to come through the door, broke the screen. So I figured, okay, let it go. I'm practicing. Time goes by and then I'll open the door, open the door. Once in a while she would say thank you. Sometimes she wouldn't. And I used to get mad. And then after years went by, she would say thank you. Thank you. And it's like the Lord says, who are you doing this for? I said, wait, what? what? What do you mean, who am I doing this for? I'm doing this for thou art. I'm doing this for you, Lord. He says, but then why do you expect her to say thank you? Because it's nice to say. I, I like to be appreciated. He said, but you're not doing that for her. You're doing this for me. Remember, you're practicing godliness for me. And so one day I come home, and I had all kinds of bags, books, iPad, everything, Bible and all. And so I'm coming to the door, and I can't even open it. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to make big noise so that Heidi comes to the door. So I kick the door, trying to open the door with my elbow. I can't even press it. I open the screen door, and Heidi has this nice little thing hanging on the door, so it makes extra noise. It's like this metal thing. It's a nice thing. And so it opened the door, and then I go to open the door. It's locked. And when you're in that position, you cannot say, hi, honey, I'm home. And then you just nicely, you're like, hey, I stay outside. And she comes to the door. She goes, oh, sorry, sorry. I was cooking. I was like, well, you didn't even open. You never hear me coming. I mean, everybody else heard me coming. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. And I was mad. I was mad because she didn't open the door like how I opened the door for her. I felt angry. And it's like the Lord was saying, well, who are you doing this for? Well, you, 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 you're trying to do this so that she treats you that way? You cannot expect her to treat you how you're treating her. Because that's the wrong motivation. It's the wrong agenda. You're not, you're not trying to be godly in return for her to be godly to you. You're trying to be godly so that you become more like me. And then my expectations dropped. And you know what? Yesterday, she didn't open the door for me. I was like, yeah! <laughs> Uh, she's going to watch this on video tomorrow night because she's in one of those classes. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know what that word train means? It means to exercise in any way, either the body or the mind. It's like you're exercising your mind so that it can go against your old nature, so that it can win the battles that come every single day because it takes a lot to do something different. It takes a lot for, our, for us to obey the Lord. And even when our conscience bothers us, it's going to take much. It takes training. It takes discipline. And if we don't practice godliness, how do we expect to win when the battles begin? I think for all of us, the Bible tells us this, and we can all learn this, Hebrews 5.14. It says, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's like God narrows it down from chaos to it really comes down to good and evil. He narrows it down to a busy day to how are you going to be? Are you going to be good or are you going to be evil? Well, I don't know if I can. Well, you got to develop my mind. you got to have my mind let me renew your mind. And just practice. Practice godliness. Just practice. Whatever you fight about in your homes, think how to renew that. How do I think differently so I respond differently? When so-and-so says something, I always respond back in this way, but not this time. This time, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to take it. I'm not going to grumble back. I'm, I'm going to renew my mind because, oh, I'm a quick thinker. And I take pride in that, oh, I got the, I got the best comebacks. Oh, no, no, not today. Today, I'm going to practice godliness. I'm going to allow the Lord to renew my mind. And when someone is trying to run me over and, and, and take advantage of my humility, I'm going to despise the shame, endure the cross, because the joy that is set before me. In other words, when we're able to conquer the everyday battles, we're not conquering everyday battles so that we don't fight anymore, so that we have a, a, a peaceful life, so that we have a, a, a non-anger environment. We endure the cross. We despise the shame for the joy that is set before us. And our joy is becoming more like Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Let's make that our, our decision tonight, our declaration that we want to be more like Christ. You can bow your heads as we close in prayer and close your Bibles. Lord, that's our, our prayer tonight. Boy, we live in a world, Lord, that shapes us to be more and more like the world. But you created us to be more and more like you. And you have given us such an example to follow. So would you renew our minds right now, Lord? Even though we have a pattern of thinking, we think a certain way, we've grown up a certain way, we lived in a, a certain culture in our families, and so we have a muscle memory to respond and react. But Lord, when we have your mind, now we respond like you. We say the things you would say, we do the things that you would do and we think how you would think. 
Help us to practice godliness, Lord, that in our families, boy, they deserve you. They deserve your very best. And you're going to move in and through us to be more like you so that our family members, not only will they see you, but they'll be drawn closer to you. And that's our heart tonight, Lord. We all just want to be close to you. So may we do so. Renew our mind so that we can have new results. And the result is to be more like you. It's in your precious name that we pray, Lord. And we all said, amen, amen, amen. I'm excited.